0: For her music, her composition, Passing Places. You can find out more about Mary Green and her music at MyriGreen.com or pop on to my own website, BodyTours.com, and follow her story from there. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Passing Places. I normally say, if you're a regular listener, welcome back, but I think on this occasion the tables have been completely turned. Uh, probably some of you are thinking, hey, welcome back, hopefully. And if you're a new listener, I say every week it's my personal diaries of my travels around Scotland, mainly by motorhome, but also by motorcycle and with some hill walking thrown in for good measure. Now, in this week's episode, I want to talk about springtime in Scotland and why it's a good occasion, a good time of year to visit. And I've also got some audio from a recent trip out to the Trossachs, So I'll cover a little bit about the Trossachs area. And finally, due to a number of people uh, asking me really over the last month or two, I wanted to uh, give you my comments on the Scottish referendum, which is due in September, and I'll tell you about that uh, shortly. Firstly, I wanted to give some shout-outs. I wanted to thank David, our caravan man, who uh, posts on bonnetours.com, and he was asking after me because I haven't posted an episode in recent weeks, so... Thank you, David, for getting in touch and apologies for the late uh, response which I've only just put on the website this morning. But the main thing is I'm back in front of the microphone. I also wanted to thank Andrew Mack for sharing his planning for a trip to Sky this year on his motorbike and I'm really pleased that you've got yourself sorted with some accommodation, Andrew. So make sure you keep in touch and uh, if you take some photographs, share them on the Passing Places Facebook group. And talking of the group... uh, very special welcome to all the new members and I wanted to especially thank Wendy Smith for sharing her website about the Kintyre Way which is a long distance footpath. You can find Wendy's website at thekintyreway.weebly.com and weebly is w-e-b-l-y, thekintyreway.weebly.com and also Ian Gillespie who has joined the group and he travels around Scotland in a camper van. Like myself, and has been posting photographs about his recent travels. Also Vic Mackay, or Vic Mackay, for pictures, uh, a whole range of pictures from Loch side of Balmaha and Rower Denning, sorry, Rower Denning, as well as the Bowling Basin at the Firth and Fourth Canal down near the Erskine Bridge. That's a nice, quiet little sp- place to stop off for uh, half an hour and a short walk along the canal. And she's also posted pictures of a visit to Argyll, to Tarbert, which is one of my favourite places on Loch Fine. And she's also been to Balquidder, which was one of my earlier episodes, and the Dockert Falls at Killin. So you can see all those photographs on the Passing Places podcast group. Rob Grant has also been posting photographs of Loch Loman. So thanks for that, Rob. And finally, Dominic Scully, and my young nephew, completed his uh, charity fundraising walk up Conic Hill. I think uh, Dominic and a few colleagues from the Body Shop managed to raise over £600 for the Teenage Cancer Trust. So well done, Dominic. So I'll leave the little discussion on the referendum to the end. I really just want to give people an idea of the temperature, the, the the buzz, if you like, which is going around Scotland at the moment about the yes or no vote in September. So we'll come to that at the end. If it's not of interest to you for any reason, then you'll be able to uh, finish the you're listening at that point, but uh, why would you visit Scotland in springtime? I mean, I often say to people that the best month of the year, if you can only come for a couple of weeks, is May, and in some ways, we're already just about to move into April. So, this story holds true, I think, for quite a few of the months in March, uh, April, and May. And it's around the fact that we often still have snow on the peaks and we have clear visibility. We don't have that summer haze. Now this year I might have heard of Hamish McInnes, the renowned mountaineer mountaineer and uh, mountain rescue chap, and he was saying that the, the high places, the summits and peaks, we've had more snow this year than any year since 1945. And while that increases the avalanche risk given the type of snow and the strong winds that we've had in recent weeks, it does mean that the mountains are looking at their best if you visit at this time of year. It's also a time when most of the tourist attractions and accommodation are already open for the season, certainly by May time or around Easter time. And you don't get the crowds that you would get during the July, August school holiday period. So if you can get yourself to Scotland early in the season, you'll find plenty of room to explore without any traffic on some of the main tourist routes. And then the final key thing for me is the midges, the dreaded Scottish midge. doesn't really make an appearance until early May, I would normally say around the 14th of May, although it varies every year by location and depending on the season. So it's a great time to visit Scotland if you're coming up. And if you do, let us know on the Passing Places podcast group. I've also noticed on various uh, news feeds that the number of visitors to Scotland's attractions, visitors to the Scottish islands. All these figures are increasing in the last year or two and you may well have seen some of these TripAdvisor and Lonely Planet guides ranking Scotland and some of its islands up there amongst the the top ten in the world as places to visit and Scotland ranking very high this year, partly because of uh, its natural landscape and the beauty but also given the Commonwealth Games and the Ryder Cup and for some people the referendum uh, vote in September uh, should create quite a bit of a buzz around Scotland. So it's a great year to visit and we're expecting probably the largest number of visitors in Scotland for some years. Now as you know it's probably five weeks since I last produced a podcast episode and uh, unlike one of my uh, five week breaks I had which was planned, this was completely unplanned. And while I missed the first week, the deadline, it became more and more difficult to get back on the the bandwagon, if you like, in terms of the discipline involved in creating a weekly episode. I remember as a kid when my library books became overdue, one of the first things they did at the local library was uh, give you a fine. And as well as having little uh, pocket money, it was the embarrassment of going back with the late library books, so... I've also had this uh, sense that the the longer something is put off, the more difficult it is to sort it out. So before I knew it, uh, one week turned into two and suddenly we're in five weeks. So I'm determined to get back on the, the weekly cycle. And it's also been affected by the fact that I've been involved in a lot of other things, which has restricted my possibilities or opportunities to get off, um, even the weather times hasn't been great although in fairness we've had some fantastic weather eh, just for the odd day or two but our winter overall as we're now in spring the winter was probably one of the mildest ones we've had for some time even though we've got huge amounts of snow on the eh, tops of the mountains at a lower level it's been mainly windy and at times very wet so we haven't had the freezing ice and snow ...that we had for a couple of years recently. It's been a relatively mild winter. And this weekend... I'm talking about spring in this week. This weekend the clocks change... ...and we move into British summer time. So the seasons in Scotland are are pretty difficult to define... ...and pretty fickle at the best of times. So although I haven't been away uh, in terms of overnights... ...or to some of the more remote parts of Scotland... ...I've been out and about at a more local level... A number of times in recent weeks, and I've got some audio for you here of a recent trip last week to the Trossachs, to the Aberfoyle and Lockhart area. Now the Trossachs are located just slightly west and north of Stirling, right in the centre of Scotland. Another place that people often refer to as Scotland in miniature. You have a range of towns, Aberfoyle and Callander being the two main ones, and uh, whilst being quite touristy. You've got all sorts of locks and mountains to climb and things to do, so it's a very popular area. Particularly in the summer it can get quite busy, but at this time of year it's very, very quiet. So I was up in the Aberfoyle area. I've been up there a few times in recent weeks, but I've got some audio. So if you have a little listen to uh, my trip to Aberfoyle and Lockhart. You join me in the Trossachs today, and it's uh, springtime. Spring has finally arrived. We've had a couple of cracking days, and I decided to come up to the Trossachs to get out and enjoy the sunshine. So, I've come in from the Stirling side, up through Thornhill and into Aberfoyle. I stopped off briefly at the Lake of Menteith and Aberfoyle. I'm now headed up the single-track road beyond Lockhart. Towards Inversnaid and the top of Loch Catron. And I've just pulled into a small little space at the bottom of Loch Chon, Loch Con. Not sure how you pronounce it in the Gaelic. A really beautiful little space, sitting at the south end of the Loch. Uh, Hills almost surrounding me. But the snow level's nice and high now after that uh, couple of days of sunshine. Still plenty of snow in the peaks but uh, I've got Ben Lomond hidden behind the hill in front of me looking west and behind me I've got uh, Ben Venue and overhead I've got uh, a helicopter (laughs) which is uh, great for the audio and I was just describing the peace and tranquillity of sitting in this loch are disappearing into the distance and as I say I've just got up here to, to really dust off the cobwebs and get outside a beautiful full sun and plenty of heat in the sun which is the first time I've felt the warmth this year as I say I come up past the Lake of Manteith is often referred to as the only lake in Scotland, I think there's a couple of other bodies of water that are now called Lake something or other but the Lake of Menteith is Probably the only lake in Scotland. All the other uh, bodies of water are called lochs. So Lake Menteith and Inchma Inchma home Priory is worth a visit. It's out in an island. The whole site is managed by Historic Scotland, but it doesn't open till Easter time. And it's one of these old priories which is worth a visit. Some interesting graves outside. One of these places that Robert the Bruce visited uh, two or three times during the wars of Scottish independence and uh, Mary Queen of Scots was there too. the usual suspects. But it's a, a good place to go out and enjoy a picnic, I would have thought. And there's also a good trout fishery on Lake on the Lakeman Teeth, if you fancy fishing from a boat yeah, if you've been following the curling on the Winter Olympics one of the famous things on the Lake of Menteith is that when the lake freezes over, which is quite common they have, and historically have had, pretty big curling championships and that sounds really good, to go out and use the natural ice on the lake So if you're coming into the Trossachs, you may want to drop off at the Lake of Menteith There's a big hotel there as well which does lunches and has bars and things. And then as you head into Aberfoyle itself, it's often referred to as the gateway to the Trossachs. It relies mainly on tourism now, but it used to have a really large slate mine, and I think an ironworks at one time. I think one of the third, third largest quarry. Slate quarry, rather than a mine, slate quarry. Third largest slate quarry in Scotland. And at one time, I think it all came to an end in the 50s, in the 1950s, you could take a train to Aberfoyle via Dumbarton or Kirkintilloch. It seems bizarre now to think that we had infrastructure, real infrastructure that would take you into Aberfoyle. It um, seems a real shame we've missed out on all these things and we now have vast areas that are lost their real services. And that rely on a pretty short tourist season rather than local industries. So Aberfoyle, if you're looking for a place to stop off, it's a uh, one of the obvious places on your way around the Trossachs. I always think of Lochard. Rather surprisingly, it's uh, often referred to as the source of the River Forth. So if you know your Firth of Forth with uh, the iconic rail bridge and the Forth Road bridge, the Firth of Forth, the River Forth has its uh, beginnings in Loch Nard, just outside Upper So it's a great place to come if you're looking for various uh, forestry walks. We've just been for a walk in the forest there. It's uh, it's just Forestry Commission rather imaginatively called it uh, Lockhart Forest. So we were in there for half an hour or so, and I thought I'd just come a little bit further up the road. I I remember cycling down here three or four years ago. But this is a nice little spot. So the weather in Scotland has an ability to tease you. You're sitting one day out in the sunshine in a t-shirt, and thinking spring and summer have finally arrived, and then before you know it, you're back into... Wet and windy and cold weather So it's still quite changeable That's probably the only drawback about visiting Scotland in the spring There's no certainty about the weather But when I was mentioning May has been the for me the best month to visit Statistically May is our driest month of the year It's the, the best time if you're looking to avoid the rain You can often get a glorious week in May And I remember over a, a number of years uh, Getting sunburn when I've been out walking or hill climbing in May, so there's uh, always that chance that you'll arrive and get really really good weather, but equally you could arrive and have a week of rain, so you just have to take your chances, because it's no different in July or August, apart from the fact it's much much more busy. Now for all you camper van owners and motorhome owners, if you're thinking about uh, how you power your van, one of the things that's been Bothering me in terms of a shortfall is I still have this issue that if I'm off the grid, if I'm well camping in the van as we call it That I don't have the ability to keep my laptop fully charged And there's a local barber's that I use on occasion and he has a van It's a converted uh, lorry almost And I was getting my hair cut the other day and we ended up talking about inverters, voltage inverters and if you you may well know what they are, but if you're thinking about it as a possibility of how you get mains power into your van, he was giving me his experiences in the barber's van. That you know it's the opposite really of a charger for a mobile phone. Instead of the voltage coming down from the two two forty volts down to four or five volts to charge a mobile device, the inverter steps up the. 12 volt battery voltage up to 240 volts so that you can use mains appliances. Now obviously the power available to you is limited in terms of the number of appliances you can use and for how long the battery will last. But the trick seems to be to buy an inverter and a second leisure battery and from a technical point of view it really does help if both batteries are identical in terms of specification manufacturer and the age of the battery. So It might involve me buying two brand new leisure batteries. But in effect, he was saying that he can run his barber shop for almost up to three days. And that involves running mains, clippers, or whatever you call the things the barbers use. He's got his lighting on. uh, He's got a television there and a radio and uh, hot water and things. So he seems to get by for two or three days. Now I'm thinking that often that's all I need is the power to charge up my laptop, and if it was working quite well, I could even power up some of my audio equipment, whether it's my mixer or charge other devices off the main. So uh, I think one of the obvious places to look is perhaps Maplin. I think you can get these inverters as cheap as under hundred pounds, and then I'd need to buy probably two new batteries, and I would have to find a place to locate the second leisure battery. So that's in my to-do list. So if you've any experience of inverters as a way to give you short-term mains power when you're not on an electrical hookup, I'd love to hear your experiences. And for me, I'm just very reluctant to get into the whole generator business of using a generator. I really do hate the noise of these things. I think the smell of petrol, the storage of petrol and the generator would all be problematic for me because I don't have good storage facility in the van. So. Uh, I like my electrical equipment and I like the idea of a, a voltage inverter. So if you have any advice, any experiences, then please get in touch. So finally, I wanted to mention the referendum in Scotland, which is due on September the 18th of this year. Now, a couple of things I'd like to say first is that the podcast is the only thing that matters to me is that people who are involved in Passing Places share a passion for Scotland and an interest in the country. And that is a very inclusive process for me. I really do want to engage with everybody and anybody, irrespective of their political views. I want them to engage with passing places. So although I want to mention the referendum, I really don't want to cover it in a partisan way. I just want to give you some sense of what the heartbeat of Scotland feels like to me, given that this is quite a momentous year for the country and taking probably the most important decision that anybody has had the opportunity to take in Scotland for many, many years. So my passion for Scotland translates into being committed to independence. I have been for many, many years and it's probably inevitable that in some ways that my own views on independence will come through in the podcast at times or when I try and describe as dispassionately as, as I can what I think going on in Scotland at the moment in terms of People's uh, engagement with the debate But I really just wanted to cover it Because a number of people uh, Joyce and Carl over in Boston Got in touch and said that they would like to visit Scotland uh, To cover Or to include the referendum vote And that they would like to stay In Edinburgh or Glasgow To get a feel for the whole um, Chemistry of the, the vote So I would say that if you're interested In coming to Scotland for The independence vote The sooner you book accommodation, particularly in Edinburgh, the better. Uh, Edinburgh will be absolutely chock-a-block, not only with Scots people, we'll all descend on Edinburgh, but uh, a number of people from an international level will be coming to Scotland to uh, watch the referendum vote and the decision coming through, and all sorts of other people associated with the media will be around in the Edinburgh area. So I did check online and I could see that already rooms in Edinburgh Uh, On the 18th and beyond are are becoming few and far between. So, if you're thinking about being in Edinburgh for the actual vote, then you would need to make your plans pretty quickly. But in saying that, the entire country will be uh, involved in the independence vote, and there will be gatherings and parties up and down the land. And the only decision, the only thing that is uncertain, if you like, is which way the vote uh, will go. So. It'll be difficult to know beforehand which uh, side of the debate we'll be celebrating and which side will be uh, licking their wounds. But I'm certain that on the 18th and for a few days afterwards, the country will be absolutely buzzing. So it should be a a good time to visit if you want to come along. Another person who was in touch with me was Keith Gray, I think, in Texas. And he was asking me, could I do an episode? Uh, And he gave me a working title of a Yanks guide an independent Scotland. And I suppose, Keith, uh, you were probably the one that sort of pushed me over the edge to comment on the referendum on the podcast. Uh, I think it's very difficult for me to dive into such deep water because I really don't want to offend any listener, either because they're very um, pro either side of the argument, or because given the podcast goes out to, I think it's 94 countries, some of you listening might have no interest in the referendum or perhaps interest in politics generally, so that's why I wanted to put this little bit about the referendum towards the end of the podcast. And uh, now here's my take on the, the whole shebang so far. If you go back to, and this won't take long, so bear with me, if you go back to 1997 was the last time we had a referendum, and that was to vote on whether we wanted a Scottish Parliament, which was devolution in Scotland. Now, the vote took place and we had a 60% turnout, which was pretty poor, I think. And I think 74% voted in favour. Now, the overwhelming vote for yes on that occasion for devolved Scottish Parliament was in part supported by the fact that all the major political parties, including the government of the day, supported a yes vote. The only exception being the Conservative or Tory party, who haven't really had a, a very good level of representation, a very poor level of representation, in Scotland for many years now So the the vote wasn't a great surprise But the turnout I think was pretty disappointing So the vote took place On the 11th of September 1997 And here's a I think a related but at the time unrelated event The vote was on Thursday And the counting on the Friday And the digesting the result over the weekend And on the Monday Two young Californian chaps r- um, Registered a domain name Google.com And if you go back to 1997, I was very active on the internet. And at that time, less than 1% of the population were on the internet. It always felt it was like me and a few pals. There was no e-commerce, no brands, no big companies were represented. It was all hobbyists and academics. And the internet was largely irrelevant to people. Very, very few people had mobile phones. So when I'm describing what I think has happened, or what is different this time around, it's all about the fact that communication has changed dramatically over the intervening decade or more since the 1997 election campaign. And if you look at the newspapers in Scotland uh, as a start, the circulation of printed media has really, really uh, dived, dive-bombed over the the years, particularly the last three or four years. Circulation is down. But where our national newspapers, both The Herald and more recently The Scotsman, have removed themselves uh, from the circulation figures which come out monthly. They no longer class themselves as national papers because I think they don't want to have the embarrassment of their figures being published every month. They've both made attempts to move to the digital online world with uh, debatable success. And for me, the newspapers, as they lost out to first television and then mobile phones and the internet and Twitter and all these other ways to get information. They felt the only place they could go was towards gossip, slander and uh, celebrities and all these other things. So they've turned themselves into magazines and I don't really get involved in newspapers at all. If I was looking for news I would head over to Twitter or to even Facebook or use Google News and... The media, which in some ways were the beneficiary initially as the channels exploded. Back in 1997 we only had uh, a small number of channels. And of course now we've got hundreds of channels of TV and uh, streaming, things like Netflix and Love Film and all these other things. So there's been dramatic change. The television channels that had a monopoly on news for a while, they are all losing uh, viewers as well. Newsnight, which is the flagship UK current affairs programme, has its viewers have dropped from over a million down to 600,000. Newsnight Scotland, which was introduced as an add-on to Newsnight for viewers in Scotland, is actually getting axed next month. And all the uh, television channels are now going the same way as the press. They're heading into... Celebrity land and reality TV and talent shows And there's a a move if you're really interested in current affairs And what's going on in the country It's through social media And I think that's a huge change from 1997 The reason I'm going on and on about it if you like Is my experience, particularly since the referendum was announced In terms of the date Has been that the social media online world is absolutely buzzing and one of the uh, results of that is that I was reading an article the other day online that it's you have to go back to the 1960s to find the level of public engagement with a topic. And I'm talking in terms of public meetings and events. In Scotland, I looked on both the Yes Campaigns website and the No Campaigns website. And there are roughly over 100 events going on in Scotland every week. So in village halls and town halls, uh, doorstepping, canvassing, there are over 100 events already each week, uh, engaging with people about the future of Scotland, and that is only going to intensify in the weeks and months ahead. And when you look at the, the number of uh, websites and how the discussion is going online, and the ability for people to get organised through social media, through their through their phones and their internet connections. It really has created a a very, very vibrant debate. And I fully expect the turnout, when you go back to 1997, when people relied on a few TV channels and their newspaper and a public meeting, I think the 60% turnout is going to be radically different this time. We're talking a turnout of around about 80%, I would imagine. So it's a very, very different uh, landscape from the last time. And the level of inquiry, the level of scrutiny that politicians are facing, the amount of dialogue that's taking place on the issues, the, the the stakes couldn't be higher in terms of the UK and Scotland, whether they separate or stay together. And I suppose my only fear is that in some ways the it could get quite nasty at times, and whatever the result is, there will have to be some bridge building afterwards, so... The final point I'd make on it is the, if you're looking for information, uh, here's some websites that you could go to. Yes Scotland, if you type in Yes Scotland into Google, it'll take you to the Yes Scotland campaign if you're interested in what they have to say. Likewise, if you type in uh, Better Together, is the name of the No campaign, you can find their website and on both websites they give you their views and information about the their position in terms of the vote and events and other resources that you can uh, read up on. But if you want to find out what the latest opinion polls are saying, there's a website called whatscotlandthinks.org whatscotlandthinks.org and that's a good place to go to get all the polls and the poll of polls and analysis by um, one or two key specialists in the field and that will give you a good idea of the certainly what the opinion polls are saying in terms of the direction of travel. The no campaign started out uh, with a sizable lead, and the current debate is whether or not the yes campaign is making inroads into the no campaign. The polls would appear to suggest that the the lead has been reduced and the gap is narrowing. But we're only in March, and the campaign hasn't really even started As far as I can see, the Yes campaign are very committed to a grassroots-type campaign involving as many people across the country as possible. And the No campaign are targeting largely undecided voters. Now, I say that from uh, listening and watching an interview with both chief executives of the Yes and the No campaign. It's not my interpretation of what they're saying. They're both laying out their strategy, and that's what they intend to do, so... A final point I would make about this, uh, the importance of social media. Uh, Within all these polls, Scottish Television uh, commissioned, I think it's called called Scott Pulse, to do an opinion poll as to people's answer to this question. What key sources do you turn to for information and news on the referendum? And where they cited specific uh, newspapers or television or wherever they then ranked them. In 10th place was BBC Scotland. You know, and that already uh, is a bit of a surprise. You would have thought BBC Scotland being the national state broadcaster would have been near the top. And 9th and 8th place were two websites called Bella Caledonia and Newsnet Scotland, both pro-independence websites which are generating significant traffic. Uh, the next one in line was the BBC News website. I think it was 7th. And then Scotland Tonight, which is the flagship current affairs programme on the Scottish television... It was sixth. And then Sky News was fifth. And then for me, surprisingly, The Scotsman, The Guardian and The Herald were the next three in terms of getting up the ranking. So the newspapers were still seen by many as being relevant. But out in front and by a a royal mile, if you like, was a a site called Wings Over Scotland, which is a pro-independence website. Now, I've been following Wings Over Scotland for over a year now. And again, I said earlier on, I don't want to overstate this because of my own commitment to a yes vote, but I'm completely staggered at the level of activity online, and in particular this site. If you're a no voter, committed no voter, you'll probably find it too difficult to stomach. If you're an undecided, it's one of those sites that's certainly worth a visit to get the yes side of the argument. And if you're looking for analysis, there's a a fantastic amount of work getting done on these websites. Uh, unpicking some of the arguments. So Wings Over Scotland is an example. uh, This month in March they they went to crowdfunding to raise money so they could support their campaign and they were seeking to raise £53,000 during the month of March. Now for a website if you look at the way Yes Scotland and Better Together have been trying to fundraise at a national level They could only dream of the response that a site like Wings Over Scotland gets. The campaign went live about 10 in the morning and the entire £53,000 was collected in within 24 hours. And from that point on, the site started to try and direct people to other associated websites and campaigns where donations would be very welcomed. But long story short, that campaign shuts in a few days and They have raised over £100,000. And that £100,000 was raised in, I think, the first week. So I'm saying really that to emphasise just how critical and how important social media is. If you're really interested in politics and you're interested in the referendum debate, if you visit some of these websites, you will find huge amounts of activity going on. And if you're in Scotland and have a vote then you will find public events all over the country next week, the week after, and every week until the vote. So there's ample opportunity to get fully involved. And from my own point of view, if I only listened to the mainstream media, I would be, from my point of view, really poorly informed. So I'm afraid it's really up to individuals to decide how how deep they dig in finding out what the issues are. What the options are and what the choices are So I'll maybe give you some feedback on the referendum uh, In a month or two Or further down the line It's not going to be a a main feature in the podcast Each week because as I said I really don't want to uh, Confuse the main priority For the podcast is Sharing a a shared interest in Scotland So I hope that helps um, Keith and uh, Joyce and Carlo And a few other people have asked me About the independence referendum in Scotland. So I'm going to bring this episode to a close. It's just good to be back in front of the microphone. I don't know if you can pick up that I'm slightly in a rush here. I'm uh, doing something today which is completely counterintuitive. I'm heading down to the big smoke, London, via Bristol. I'm away for three or four days. And whilst my preference uh, these days in life is to spend as much time in remote areas as possible, I've been tempted down to London for uh, an inaugural uh, first meeting of a podcasting group. So (laughs) I'm hoping that the podcasting group will give me further energy and commitment to getting this weekly podcast out. But it's a, a plan for podcasters in the UK to try and support each other and ensure that podcasting reaches more and more people in the weeks and months ahead. So whilst I've spent many... Nights in London over the years, and I've been on a number of uh, city visits. Uh, What do you call these short breaks to various cities across Europe, in particular? I'm actually quite uh, apprehensive about the whole prospect of spending a few days in the metropolis. So, if I say I'm not looking forward to it, I'm I'm wearing two hats. I'm really looking forward to it in many ways, but I'm really not that keen on. getting back on the, the planes and staying in the tell rooms and all the things I used to do in a, in a previous life. So that's where I'll be this weekend and I hope to be back on schedule for next week. It's uh, a lot of work to put the podcast together and it's very easy to fall off the schedule. So I, I can, but uh, try. So thank you for your patience if you're still with me and if you want to get in touch... No, you can use the Speakpipe voicemail on the website. You can join the Passing Places podcast group on Facebook. You can contact me on Twitter at Bonnie Tours. And I'll leave you with that. And if you are visiting Scotland this year, at any time, it's the year of the homecoming, then I hope that maybe one day I can catch up with you somewhere on your travels. And I'll play you out with Mary Green's music or composition, Passing Places. Thank you.